us of something that we need to never forget. Um, God has called us to take care of the poor and the broken. I don't know if God expects the government to do that or not, and I'm not trying to get overly political. Maybe he wants the government to do that, maybe he doesn't, and that's between him and the government, I guess. Um, But I do know this, that we are definitely given that command. And it is not one that we can um, pass off or expect someone else to do. And so whether that is us going out and and taking care of those who obviously um, are hurting, or maybe taking care of those who are trying really hard to cover up the fact that they are hurting, the best thing we can do is take care of everybody we come across and um, then nobody slips through the cracks. And so whether that means that we help someone who's um, asking for some change so they can get some food or it means that we are kind and courteous and treat our waiters and waitresses like they're humans um, and everywhere in between, um, if we just take care of everybody, then everybody's covered, right? Make sense? All right. Um, certain James chapter 5, that's not what I'm talking about tonight, but that song was, I don't know, sometimes God just speaks to me in, in random bits, and it doesn't mean change your sermon. Uh, sometimes it means just say it, be done with it. James chapter 5, um, we've been talking about identity in Christ and what it means to be in Christ and how because of what Jesus did on the cross and us placing our faith in what he did and repenting of our sin and, um, and being rejoined to him, that our entire identity has been reset. That we are not who we used to be, that everything about us is different, and um, it's all about Jesus being in us and us being in him. And so that's kind of where we've been. We're going to look in James chapter 5 in a few minutes because um, after laying the foundation for a couple of weeks, um, kind of try to get into some like practical ways that our identity fits into everyday life. And um, the, tonight we're going to talk about prayer. And uh, I have the, the privilege of being a part of a community group that is um, all college students. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about prayer. And uh, I'm telling you, the first week, I mean, there are worms everywhere. Because uh, we just kept opening up every can of worms we could possibly think of about prayer. And just prayer changed God's mind. And um, you know, well, okay, well, if Christians get together and pray, does something happen? But then if they don't pray, does something else happen? And, and we just got into it. It got messy. It was fun. Um, and this group is great. And, and so I have so much stirring from a couple of weeks of getting together on Monday night and, like, just processing through some things. I'm going to try to stay on track tonight um, because what we're going to talk about is specifically how our identity affects our prayer lives. We could talk about prayer for weeks, and um, there have been times where, where we've set aside you know, six or seven weeks to just talk about prayer in, in a teaching series or whatever. But tonight, it's going to be really specific how, our, how being in Christ affects the way that we pray. 
All right? And, and prayer, um, it, it means different things to different people, obviously, and there are different ways to define it. Um, the, the definition that I feel the most comfortable with is kind of a hybrid of a couple of different, um, you know, writers or teachers or whatever. Um, I, I really like what, what John Piper says uh, about prayer. He, he defines it as um, intentionally conveying a message to God. That, that prayer is not random, um, that you don't just stumble into prayer. Like, there's a great deal of intentionality behind it, where it's like, I want God to know this, and so I'm going to let him know that. Um, and so it's intentional, but it's, um, he uses the word convey because what he says, and, and a lot of people would, would agree with this, that, that convey means that, that we are letting God know something. If you use the word communicate, communicate implies that there, it's a two-way deal. That prayer is about us speaking and then God speaking. And, and he differentiates between the two, and, and, and he's not the only one. That, that prayer is, is one way. It's from us to God. That, and when God speaks back to us, that's biblically, that's something completely different. That's, that's revelation. Um, that's God, uh, whether it's he's like illuminating things and he's speaking back to us, that that's different than prayer. And so we're called just to pray. Like we're just, we're just constantly like sending things to him, communicating things to him. Um, but not communicating, we're conveying. It's just all about him knowing stuff. And so, um, and I think that's, that's pretty significant because a lot of us, I think, expect that every time we pray, we need to hear God speak in James Earl Jones' voice, you know, and, and until that happens, we're not really praying. We don't know how to pray. We're not being effective prayer warriors or whatever. And we put this pressure on ourselves that every time we ask God for an answer to a question, that he has to, like, immediately give it to us. And if, he's, if we're not hearing him, then it's like there's something wrong with us and we're deficient and we're not getting it right. And a lot of times we just don't pray very much because there's this pressure to have these divine revelations all the time. But biblically, it's, it's just it's all, all one-way street. It's us conveying things um, to God. And what I like about, um, oh, I forget his name, it's somebody from Grenada. He's like a, he was a monk or something. Anyway, he defined it like this. He, uh, I should probably do more research, but... Um, or take better notes. Uh, he defined it as um, any raising of the heart to God. That prayer is not just the words that we pray when it's you know when our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we speak in our our uh, Jesus voice and you know and whatever and and we kind of roll through the things we need to pray for and we put in Jesus' name on the end of it and then we're done. Um, that prayer is not just our our words. That. Um, any, anything that is conveying to God his importance and the role that he plays in our lives, anything can be considered prayer. And so while prayer is, like when we, we talk to God, prayer can, can also be, um, let, let's say, like, uh, being obedient. We say, God, because, because you are who you are, and you are, have called me to do this, I'm going to walk in obedience and in faith, believing that you're calling me to do this. And what that does is we intentionally are obedient, and that is conveying to God the trust that we have in Him, the faith we have in Him. Um, maybe, maybe prayer is, is also um, when, when we just rest in Him. When life's just going crazy, and, and you make that intentional choice where you're like, I'm not going to get swept up in my circumstances right now. I'm going to rest in His presence, the fact that He knows everything that's happening, and He's got everything under control, and I'm going to rest in Him intentionally. That conveys to God our trust in Him, our faith in Him. 
when we come together and we sing songs, that's, that's intentionally conveying something. So prayer, I, I, I lean toward a really broad definition. That anything in your life that is intentionally conveying something to God is going to be the way that you pray. And so what I want us to do tonight is I want us to look at, we're going to look at three passages of Scripture that talk about prayer, and we're going to look at how our identity in Christ affects that. And when I say identity, I'm going back to these boxes that Louis Giglio came up with, and I just stole it and modified it, um, and whatever. Um, we've been using this. This would be you, okay? And we've been talking about how um, we were born with the sin nature in us, with a heart of stone, and that when you place your faith in Christ, and, we re- and you repent of your sins, and uh, you enter into this life with Him, that He takes the sin out of us, the heart of stone is what um, it's called in Ezekiel, and He gives us a heart of flesh, uh, New Testament is described as being Christ in you. And so literally, this little deal is going to represent Jesus literally coming to dwell in us. And it, that's like, it's so like supernatural and weird, you know, that, that I think sometimes we forget how odd it is when we just kind of start talking about stuff. You know, like then when church lingo kicks in and we're like, yeah, you just ask Jesus into your heart. You know, you plead the blood. You know, it's like, like what? <laughs> Why are you singing songs about how great blood is, you know? Uh, whatever. And so uh, I want to make sure that, that we're all like acknowledging the fact that, that this terminology is, we just have to somehow express this reality that is Jesus living in us, like the Spirit of God dwelling in us somehow. And that's one of those faith things. It's one of those things we were like, you would, God's like, look, this is what happened, and you're never going to understand it. And so there's going to have to be some trust. You're going to have to trust that, I'm, that I, I did what I said that I did. And even if you don't, like, can, can't fully wrap your mind around it, you're going to need to believe me. Now, I'm, saying, I'm not saying that we shouldn't just accept everything and just be mindless. I think we should, we should strive to understand more, and we need to, to pursue truth and, and understanding and all that stuff. But we also, at the same time, there has to be a balance of us being like, look, I might not understand it fully, but I, I understand that God is in control of things. And so um, Christ in us is literally what happens and then the Bible says that we're also in Christ. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. And so we take us and we put us inside this Christ box right here. And so Christ is not only in us, but we are also in Him at the same time, which, you know, may not fully understand that. It also, the Bible says that we are hidden with Christ in God. All right, so we go into the God box. And then that this whole deal has been sealed by the Holy Spirit so that nothing, nothing can undo this situation. No matter how bad you mess up, you're not going to like you're not going to rattle your identity and who you are. You're not going to change this. And so, in light of, of this situation, how does this play into the fact that we are the things that we are conveying to God, that we are, are letting Him know how important He is to us and how much He means to us? Let's let's look at a few um, few passages of Scripture. James chapter five, I'm starting verse thirteen. Johnny, can you bring the lights up a little bit? I know everybody wants to see their Bible. A little more? There you go, right there. Jonathan Wilmore, ladies and gentlemen, on the lights. Yes. All right. Verse 13, James chapter 5. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Okay. Probably if we did a survey and everybody was completely honest, very few of us would feel like our prayers are powerful. Our prayers are effective. I think most of us would probably say, honestly, I kind of feel like I'm just talking to the air. And that's kind of weird to me. And that doesn't exactly make me want to spend more time in prayer. And even if we expand our definition to include things like obedience and rest and singing and all the other, all the other things, even if we expand our definition... I don't know that very many of us would really think like, no, that's a powerful thing. And so let's, I mean, let's be honest about it. Look at verse 15. It says, and it says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The prayer of, of faith, praying in faith. Here's, here's where I think our identity comes in, Okay. You and I have to pray and to convey those things with this, this underlying belief, okay? And that belief is that God can do absolutely anything. That there's not one thing that we could throw out there that He is unable to do. And the best thing that you and I can do uh, is to use ourselves as the first example in our list of reasons why we can believe that. You start with your identity and you say, okay, if God can do this in my life, then God can do anything. Because you know, like you know yourself, you know the ways that God has, has shaped you and transformed you. You know the miracles that he's done in your life. And even if you're like, yeah, but I was never like, I wasn't really wild, you know, and I wasn't like whatever. No, no, you, but you know the change. You know the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And so a prayer of faith is a prayer that, that believes that God can do anything, beginning with this right here. I mean, it begins with our identity. There's a statement that's really come to, to be very important to us as a church. And it's, it was made by Dr. Chuck Kelly, who's the uh, New Orleans Seminary professor, uh, president. And he said this, he said, Jesus, Jesus Christ has the power to change any human life. He told, he told us in a class, he said, if you don't believe that, you need to find something else to do. If you're going to be a pastor or you're going to be in the ministry or you're going to be a Christian at all, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ has the power to change any human life. And if you don't believe that, then you are, you're wasting your time. And so on our, in our prayer station back there, where there are these cards and it says, Jesus Christ has the power to dot, dot, dot. And then your prayer request goes there because we want, even in the, even in the prayer request that we offer, to have that be um, like, like we're filling in that blank. Jesus Christ has the power to heal my grandmother, to um, fix my parents' financial situation, to you know, give me guidance on what job to take. Jesus Christ has the power to, to whatever. Free me from addiction. I mean, you, you can just go on and on and on. See, those are the prayers of faith. And so you and I, like when you get to, into that, that point and you are going to pray about something, and let's, let's use the, like, prayer as like talking to God and you're going to pray about things going on in your life, the starting point has got to be it's got to be a prayer of faith. You have to pray believing that God can, 
can give you an answer to a situation or can change circumstances, can bring peace, can bring healing, can bring guidance, I mean, whatever. And you can start with yourself, and then you can, can consider the fact that, like I said earlier, you're, we're surrounded by walking, talking, living, breathing miracles and evidences of the grace of God and the goodness of God. That right now, you're, you are not more than a foot away from a reason to trust God and for your prayers to be in faith. Now we have a cross back there with all these popsicles tacked to it that are full of reasons why we have to trust God. That all over our city today, believers got together in rooms like this and, and prayed songs and shared testimonies and look, opened up God's Word, all evidences of God's grace. That all over the planet, that there are people who are walking around who have the same testimony and the same exact truth to celebrate. And so, if you feel like your prayer life is dead or, or like whatever, I mean, well, make sure that before you begin that you're praying in faith. Believing that Jesus can do whatever it is you're about to talk to him about. That's one way that our identity affects things. Look at, the, look at verse six, uh, 16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The NIV says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And as I said earlier, I don't think a lot of us really feel like our prayers are full of like, like true power. I think sometimes we, we kind of give up on prayer because we don't really feel like it's that effective. Um, we're we're, we're so, so pragmatic in our culture today, you know. I mean, if something is not working, we, wanna, we give it like one or two tries and we stop, you know. And I know that like maybe guys sometimes, if you're pulling on the lawnmower, you know, uh, I mean, you don't pull twice and then put it in the shed. I mean, you, you take it apart, right? But uh, pretty much everything else in life, uh, if it's not working, uh, you can change the plan. This is obviously not what's supposed, you know, supposed to happen. And so if you're praying for direction and, and you give it one or two tries and you're not having this, like, beam of light from heaven and angels start singing and God, like, writes on the page what, you're, what job you're supposed to take or, how, you know, whatever, um, then we kind of, like, quit, right? It's like, well, I pray. It's not being very effective. But what this says is that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful as it is working. It is powerful and it is effective. Because of our identity, you and I have become the righteousness of God. And so it does not matter, and listen, listen close to me, it does not matter how effective you feel like your prayers are. It does not matter how powerful or how powerless you feel like your powers are. Because of your identity, every single time you convey something to God, it is absolutely effective. Because if your desire is to convey a message to God that says, you are so important to me, what your will for my life is, is of the utmost importance. I want you to direct my path. I want you, I, then if you are conveying that, you're, you being the righteousness of God, conveying that, it is absolutely hitting ears that are loving what, it is, what he is hearing. If you put that pressure on yourself to, to have revelation coming down, then yeah, there are going to be times where you know, you're, gonna, you're setting yourself up to, like, to be disappointed. What this is saying is that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful as they are working. Don't get caught up in your feelings. Don't get caught up in, in like, well, it doesn't feel very effective or I feel like I'm talking to the air or whatever. 
God would not tell us to do something just like to see if we would do it. He's not playing a trick on you. No matter what you see or what you feel, the truth is there's power in what we do, whether it's speaking or being obedient or whatever. Anytime we raise our hearts to God, it's being effective because what we're trying to do is let Him know something. And when we do it, He knows it. And if that is our goal, just to let Him know, then every single time we cannot fail. You know why? Because He's right there inside of you and He's right there all around you and around you again and sealed in by the Holy Spirit. So if you're wanting to let Him know something and you're doing that, your prayers are powerful and they're effective. We've got to fight our feelings and our tendency to let those push us around and those be our basis of truth. So there's two reasons, or two ways our identity affects prayer. Let's flip back a few pages to John chapter 14. Now one of the things that is weird when you you talk about being the righteousness of God, um, I think about my own prayer life um, and, and, and how I, I grew up in, um, in, in a church environment, and they, they tried really, really hard to equip us with everything that we would need to have a prayer life that was dynamic, you know. And so they, you know, they taught us how to pray according to the, the Acts model, you know, um, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And that's great. And if you pray that way to this day, awesome. It works great for some people. Uh, people have different different methods that really help them kind of give some structure to their prayers and stuff. But what accompanied all this, all this stuff where I, I came from was, it was just, it was such a task, you know. It was this way, if you, if you want to be a good Christian, you have a quiet time every day. You know, and they gave us these journals that help us pray all that stuff. But then, like, that was, like, always what they wanted to know, like, how many quiet times do you have this week? You know, and if you had zero, then you got a guilt trip for it or whatever. And it just became this rule, this law, this whatever. And I think one of the things that, that has been um, big, like for me and my understanding of, of prayer, goes back to what we were just talking about, about being a righteous person. So many times I would, would spend the first however long of my prayer life just apologizing. You know, apologizing it's been so long since I prayed, apologizing for all my sins, asking for forgiveness, asking this and all this stuff. I read something one day that was really transformational, and I asked for some assistance tonight from my friend Angel. Angel, up here. I don't know if you've met Angel or not. You probably have, because she's like this congeniality. This is Angel. Angel um, lives with Matt and Jessica, and uh, I've asked her to help me tonight by selecting something on stage for this powerful, powerful illustration. And what have you selected? She did not tell me this. It's not a magic trick. All right, I'm not Chris Angel, mind freak, but uh, what, uh, what did you pick? The mic. Which one? This one? Beautiful. Beautiful. Round of applause for my lovely assistant. She picked the microphone, and, and this, is, this is something that I read, and it was by um, uh, a guy named Watchman Nee. And uh, Watchman Nee has written some great stuff and some crazy stuff. So please don't go and Amazon.com him and order all this stuff because I said so. Uh, you got to have your filter on. This is one of the things that he said. And he used a thermos, but I'm going to use a microphone because I don't have a thermos. Um, let's say that this microphone could pray. All right? 
And let's say that this microphone prayed like this. God, I pray that you would make me a microphone. Will you make me, not, even, not just any microphone, but a sure, that's the brand name I want to be, sure. And I, I want to be a wireless mic because I don't like the wire attachment thing. It just gets in the way. Um, I would like to have, like, I would like for, to have, like, a windscreen that's, like, silver. Um, and then, like, the body, I want it to be black. I want you, will you give me the ability to, when someone speaks into me, that it, it amplifies what they're saying? And just so I don't get mixed up with the other one, I want a red stripe. And his point is this, is, okay, that would be completely foolish for this microphone to pray those things. Because it's asking for things that it already has. And so many times I've gone to pray and I've spent the whole time asking God for things that are already mine. Asking for forgiveness when forgiveness is already mine. There's a difference between God, forgive me, please forgive me, for my sin, for the things that I've done today, for whatever. The difference between asking for forgiveness and claiming the forgiveness that is there. I'm all for confession. We need to acknowledge, God, this was not right. I've messed up in this way. Uh, those are important things to be in our prayers, but we can't say, God, will you forgive me for those things? He's like, yeah, remember when I died on the cross? That was taken care of. Quit asking for stuff you already are. Maybe he's nicer than that. Don't sit there and say, God, make me holy, make me whatever. There are all kinds of worship songs that, are, that like, have no, make no sense at all in the context of um, identity in Christ. There are all kinds of things that we ask for we already have. One of the things that, that was, was helpful for me was to realize that, that my whole life I was starting in the wrong place. I was starting in a place where I was was trying to, to get to this point where then I could begin to pray, and I felt like I had to, to apologize for all this stuff and, and all this kind of stuff, and, and, and I had to get good enough to then begin to actually get down to business. And what the Bible says and what identity in Christ tells us is that you are at the starting point that you need. Stop asking for things that, you, that Jesus has already given you. And if that means that before you pray, you have to think about these boxes or you need to go to God's Word and you need to read some of those things. You need to recognize the fact that like, what is about to happen is coming from a righteous, holy child of God. And so this, this is about to be some power. What I'm about to do is effective. If you need to do that, then do that. And guess what? That means that like, praying as you drift off to sleep at night might not be the best way to communicate with God verbally. <laughs> We've all been there. Maybe it takes a little more organization. Maybe it takes some discipline. Um, maybe prayer is just important enough to where uh, you kind of build it into your life strategically. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. John 14. All that stuff. Let's, we're going to kind of go one step further. Look at John chapter 14, verse 12. This is Jesus talking. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, 
this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And the question that we kicked around in community group last week was like, okay, is this, is this a blank check from God? Is Jesus saying, all right, anything you want, here's a blank check. I've signed it. My credit's good. Uh, it's covered. Whatever you want, just ask for it. And there are, are plenty of Christians out there who think that's exactly what that verse is talking about. You just got to believe hard enough and you'll get a Rolls Royce. You'll get a raise. You know, you'll get a bigger house or whatever. And that is simply bull. It's not what that verse is saying. That's not what Scripture teaches. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's always going to go back to what is glorifying to the Lord. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The key to that is talking about uh, is the in my name part. I've talked about it before, how names, you know, names had meaning to it. And so if you did something in the name of Christ, it means you're doing it in, in his character. Because those two things were synonymous. And that's why in the footnotes of your Bible, uh, it'll always talk about like, like when someone has named something, it'll put at the bottom like, that name means this. You know? And that's why they name them things, is, is they want you to hear that name and automatically associate it with the meaning. And so um, to, do something, to, to ask for something in the name of Christ is to ask for something in the character and the nature of Jesus. So you're basically asking for things that Jesus would ask for. And so that is, um, I mean, we're, that's easy, right? No problem. Now, if, if, you don't have, if you're not securing your identity, that's very troubling to read that. If you don't know who you are, then you read that and you're like, well, I mean, how do you know? How do I know how Jesus would pray when, he, you know, Jesus, I mean, he didn't have to, like, make this decision. Jesus never raised kids and had to decide how to discipline in this circumstance, you know? Jesus never had to, like, pick a job. I mean, he, was a, he had a job. He was a carpenter. He, his dad was a carpenter. He didn't have a choice. And so in some situations, we know what Jesus would pray for because we have it in front of us in God's Word. I mean, when he prayed for unity among believers or when he would say, take care of the widows and the orphans, I mean, you pretty much know, I mean, that's, okay, that makes sense. There's also the ways that, of praying in his name and his character. You look at how he handled his own life. I mean, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to be crucified, and he's sweating blood. And there's so much anxiety in him, and he's just stressed to the max. And what does he pray? He, he, he prays kind of two different angles. One of them, he basically says, this is what I want to see happen. And the second one is he um, puts himself in submission to the will of the Father. So he's like, hey, if there's any way that this can happen without me having to uh, you know, go through crucifixion, that would be awesome. Let's do that. But it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. And so you transfer that in, into what you're praying about. Because let's face it, every single time we ask something for God, we all know what we want. Very few times are we completely neutral, totally 50-50. Either way, whatever you say. We always lean one way. And so Jesus told the Father that. So, I mean, why, why shouldn't we? Perfectly fine to say, if, if I have it my way, then I would, want, I would want this person to be healed. I would want to take this job. I would want to handle this in this way. 
I would want to major in this. I would, you know, whatever, whatever. But if that is undergirded by this, this like true belief that the will of the Father is, is what you really want, and you're able to say, but you know what, that's what I want, but it's not about what I want. So if you have a better plan, if you have something, that's, that's what I want. And so we can pray in the character in the name of Christ in that same way. But you know what the, the best thing about praying in the name of Christ is? That He lives in you and you are in Him. And so when you pray, you don't pray alone. You don't step into obedience by yourself. You don't rest in Him alone. We don't sing songs in here alone. You don't sit down and verbalize your prayer and your requests and your needs or thanksgiving, whatever, to God by yourself. That Christ in you, the Spirit of God in you, is is pushing you forward, showing you how to pray, showing you what to pray for. That Christ is in you, and you are in Christ, and you are hidden with Christ in God, sealed by the Holy Spirit, that this whole deal happens when you pray. It's like I said before, that God doesn't pull His chair up to the edge of heaven and listen for us to sing. No, no, He's already in the room, and all we're doing is we are all of a sudden becoming aware of His nearness and the magnificence of His presence. That's what happens when when you, you pray. Is I think a lot of times we feel like we're all by ourselves and that we're screaming to God who's so distant, but it's, He's not. He's, he's more near than we will ever understand, and He's inside of us too, guiding us and showing us how to pray. And so that's where identity comes into our prayer lives, is before you sit down to pray, acknowledging the fact, I want to pray everything in the character of Christ. I want to, pray, I want to approach this situation the way that He would. And so whether you're using scriptural examples or you are using um, His guidance or, or whatever, that's, that's when you get into those, one of those things and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm asking you this in your name. And he's like, yeah, when, you, when you're there, it, it's going to happen. You, when we get to a place where like, it's not my will, it's your will, you're like, okay, I can work with that. Last thing, one chapter over, John 15. my favorite passages talked about it a million times you can probably predict what I'm about to say John 15 verse 1 I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When, when you and I pray, we're conveying those things to God. And when it is done, um, beginning with our identity in Christ, as a righteous, holy child of God, who believes that God really can do anything, and who is trying to pray in the character and the, in the name of Christ in the way that he would pray, in the way he would approach situations. Something amazing happens. It's like we, we, you become aware of who you are. Because when we are doing that, 
We are abiding in Him. We are remaining in Him. It's like we are, all of a sudden you become aware of how connected we are to Him and how near He is. There's a difference between living for God and living from God. Spent many years trying to live for Him, you know. I want to live for Him. The problem with trying to live for Him is that you can't live for Him unless you live from Him. I was all about, like, getting it stirred up, you know, living for the kingdom. But it was all about me trying. It was about my own strength and my own ability and my own talents and my own whatever. You read this passage of Scripture, and it's pretty clear. Apart from me, you can't do anything. And what prayer does is as we're conveying those things, something amazing happens and we realize how close He is. We realize who He is. His nearness and His power and His goodness and His grace. When we pray and we begin in a healthy place of understanding our identity, the reality of these boxes um, becomes more of a reality for us and how we live. But that's one of the things about being, being a, a branch and being connected to the vine, is that all the power and all the life and all the everything flows from the vine into the branches. And that's why sometimes we leave here on Sunday night and you, just, you feel just alive. You know, you had to drag yourself here you walk out and you're like, no, that was awesome. It's because you, you denied your flesh, which is always trying to get you to look at yourself. You began to convey things to Him. And when you begin to convey things to Him, you, you, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, He's all around here. And he's all moving inside of here. That's why when you're obedient and you step out there and you just get pumped, not in an ego way, but you, there's something right about it. When you rest in Him, that's why it's so peaceful and so calming because it's right, because we're connecting to Him. I would venture to say that prayer is the way that we abide. It brings us back in touch with reality and we recognize the fact that even though we don't always feel this way, that this is the reality which you and I live in. And even when we mess up, this, that doesn't change your reality. Even though you feel like God's a million miles away, this is reality. And so I don't, I don't really know, I say this every week, I don't know how this fits into where you are. Your prayer life, might, you might just be tearing it up right now. I don't know. Or maybe it's just been a while. Maybe you're somewhere in between. You know, like I think we all kind of battle with like just we don't really feel like praying. You know, you just don't feel very motivated. Sure, you do. You want to pray. You you want to more than you realize. The reason why you want to and why I want to is because this is reality for us. Our flesh gets in the way sometimes, but you want to. And it's that abiding and that life flowing into us 
and reconnecting with the reality of our identity, that's where, that's where that change starts to happen. And so I don't want you to walk away feeling like this was a message about prayer and how they need to pray more. You better pray more. I just want you to be encouraged because that's what I need about prayer. I don't really need to be told I need to pray more because I know that already. You know? Okay. What I need to be is encouraged by the truth and pushed in that direction by the Spirit of God and by God's Word. And I hope that that's what you take away from tonight. So we're going to sing a little bit more and um, like we do every week and maybe just let some things kind of sink in a little bit. And then we're going we're gonna to go. All right, so let's pray together. Father, um, as always, we're, we're so thankful for all that you've done for us. and It's not random. Um, it's not by chance that we're here tonight. God, we all know that we need to pray more, that our, our prayer lives need some refining. God, we, wanna, we don't want to just jump into task mode. God, we want, we want change to just originate from the deep parts of our hearts and our minds. And so God, will you help us to understand more about how because we are in you and you are in us, God, why prayer is such a lifeline for us. While prayer, exactly why prayer is not just, it's not a task. The conveying to you how we feel about you and how much we trust you and love you and need you is, it's not a joke. Father, if there are things in us that need to be stirred up, then stir them. If we need to be convicted, then we ask you to convict and to lead us to the truth. God, we ask that you just make us aware of just how near you are. We love you, Father, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.